There are many fascinating things in life. Do you know, in one sense, I want to say this, it's probably a sin to be bored when there's so many things around us. So many things that can interest us. So many things that we can discuss. So many things that we can get involved with. For me, for years, one of the areas that I've studied and discussed with many friends, uh, both in Wales and in here, is the whole concept of what it is to be human. I'm fascinated by that. I'm fascinated by the question of what is the human condition? What makes us who we are? It's been a popular pastime of the 20th century. Freud, for instance, as his psychoanalysis tries to work out who we are. The British, the British biologist Desmond Morris, in his book The Naked Ape, looked at this and said, well, who we are? Well, really, we're just animals. Animals. The Naked Ape was his famous book in the 1960s. And all sought to understand something of the human condition. And that goes back a long way. The Greek philosophers loved to do that. Socrates would stand there and argue with people all day long. What is a good life? How can I be good? What is it to be human? How can I live the best and most relevant life possible? Well, today, I want to look at that question. I want to look at that question. And I want to look specifically at two aspects of being human this morning, both of which appear in Ephesians chapter 2. And the first thing I want to look at is this. The human condition in regards to his relationship with God. The human condition in regards to his relationship with God. Now, Paul here is very blunt. At times, he can be blunt. Uh, that's okay. That's all right. And he uses an extreme word to describe man's natural relationship to God. And the word is dead. Now, that's an extreme word. Dead is an extreme word. Uh, verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Here Paul explains to us, he explains to the Ephesians their pre-conversion state as human beings. He's speaking to Gentiles, he's speaking, he's speaking specifically to Gentiles in this case. But in verse 3 he says, all of us, all of us. He includes Jews. Each and every one of us as regards our human nature, we are dead to God. There is a deadness in our relationship to the God who is there. Now, we've got to go further than that, because we've got to ask this question. It begs the question, does that mean that mankind has no spiritual inclinations at all before being Christian? That's not the case. Not the case. It's clear from other passages in the Apostle that man does crave for God. 
There is something in the way that we are created that calls out for a creator. We can't help it. Now, he, he explains this in a little bit of detail in the first chapter to the book of Romans. Let me just read a few verses for you, beginning with verse 19. What may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature has been clearly understood. Notice, clearly understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse for although they knew God, there is an aspect of the human condition that knows something about the divine. We spent some time a few months ago looking at Acts 17. And Paul there speaks to the men at Athens. I see that in every way you are very religious. For I saw that you observed, and he goes on to speak about the God who they didn't know. In other words, he recognises, having said man is dead to God, there is an aspect of man that is open to the divine. There is a human thing that craves for a creator. You see, humankind is not dead to the evidence of God's existence. Now, some people might be, but generally speaking, that's not the case. The history of humanity is the history of a seeking after God. If, if you were an archaeologist, and I don't know if anyone's done archaeology, I haven't, but if you're an archaeologist, wherever you dig up, you see signs of temples and sacrifice and looking towards God. Whether you go back to Stonehenge in Britain, or you go to the Aztecs, or you go to wherever, there is something. You go to Egypt. I spent, I spent two months in Egypt and uh, went to a number of these temples. In the end, I, I couldn't deal with another temple. If anyone wanted to take me to another temple, that's it. I'd had enough of hieroglyphics. But what they spoke about was this desire, sometimes 2,000 years BC, of looking outside themselves. There's something in us that looks to a creator. So, in what way then are we dead? What does Paul mean? If we're not fully dead in the sense that we know that there might be a creator, what does he mean? Well, let's put it like this. A relationship, any relationship, whether it's a marriage, a friendship, a relationship, a whatever, although it sort of continues, it can die. It can die. While the person is still alive. Many people have lived in marriages, for instance, where the relationship has died years ago, yet they still continue to stay together. Often we use words such as, we feel that someone is distant. We seem someone is not as close to us as they used to be. There seems to be something that has cropped up. Something has gone wrong. An extreme word, and this is an extreme word, so please, please don't blame me for it. This is sort of zombie-like thing. You know, you're the living dead. And that's a bit extreme. But you see what I'm trying to say? In other words, there is a life but there isn't a relationship going on. Broken 
relationship. People use terms such as, he cut me dead, if looks could kill, he was just polite, love died. And it's sure, I think, that Paul is, re- this is what Paul is talking about. We are dead to that intimate relationship that we should have with the Creator. Something has happened that's killed a relationship that once was part of the human condition. And Paul goes on to diagnose the reason as well in the next few verses. That's the second thing I want to note. There is a reason for estrangement. If you've been going to church for any amount of time, if you've come to this church, especially for the last 17 years, and I know much more, you will have heard me speak about sin. And some people say, well, sin, are you so old-fashioned, Pastor, talking about sin? Ah, we passed that. Like oil. (laughs) I only wish. I only wish. Now, Paul diagnoses the human condition, diagnoses why there's been an estrangement between man and God. And he uses the word sin. Let me quote from the text. Dead in your transgressions and sins. Verse 1. Then he goes to define what sin means. Verse 2. Those who are disobedient. What is sin? Disobedience. Verse 3. Gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. That can mean anything to different people. Verse 2 again. Follow the ways of this world. This world. And verse 2 again. And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. His reference to the presence of evil. So what is it? What is sin? It's disobedience to God. It's letting your body, your bodily desires dictate your direction. You fall in with the worst of yourself. We do things according to our nature. Now, there is a good side to human nature. Those of you who are visiting or haven't been here, haven't heard me preach uh, before, will might not know that I'm I'm very, very positive on the human condition. I believe when God created man and woman, he said, it is good. It is good. I'm a great believer in this world. It's God's creation. I am not a believer that this world is nothing and that we are nothing and that everything is going to happen in heaven. I do believe in a heaven. But I believe that God made us And I think we are made in God's image, and all that is broken. It's not fully broken. So please don't think that I'm saying we're all totally, absolutely, utterly awful in every sense of the word. I don't believe that. The Bible never teaches that. But I do believe that there is a dark side to the human condition. There is a gravitational pull towards what we want to be true for ourselves, whatever that might be. Very often people say, well, we live in the Enlightenment. I'm an enlightened guy. I go by reason. Like oil, you don't go by reason. Very few of us go by reason. What we do is we do what we like, motivated often by pride, selfishness, envy, hatred and lust, 
But we use reason, or we bring reason in, but we bring reason in after we've already let our desires run wild to justify what we want to do. Augustine, as I've said many a time, is a key person in speaking about this. Now, I want to be optimistic about mankind, but I'm going to be real as well. Real as well. My passion, my passion is history and literature. And time and time again, what we read there is that man has a dark side. A dark side. Um, I think it was the week before last. This is my movie recommendation for the week, by the way, in case uh, you want to write it down. This is a great movie recommendation, by the way, if you've got Netflix. The Zookeeper's Wife. How many of you have seen that one? Oh, just, oh, well, one or two. Okay, one or two. One or two, Zookeeper's Wife. And, you know, you think, Zookeeper's Wife? I'm not going to watch Zookeeper's Wife. It was magnificent. True story. And actually, I've been spending some time um, in, in my studies of the Holocaust in Warsaw, believe it or not. When I mean in Warsaw, in my mind in Warsaw. I haven't been to Warsaw last week or anything like that. And the Zookeeper's Wife is the story of how this a woman, a Paul, a Christian Paul, looked after Jews from the Warsaw Ghetto. And as the, as the ghetto was being sent to Treblinka, so she tried to save as many as she could, and she saved round about 90 people. It's a great story about the human condition. It says something good about the human condition, but it also reminds us of the darkness that can come from it, and here being an illustration, the Holocaust. And we could go to a number of different areas that I've gone to many a time on this. This week, let me keep up to date. This week, there are war crimes trials. 20 years, 20 years ago, we had the Bosnian and Serbian uh, war, civil war going on. We had 7,000 men who were massacred, Holocaust style, in Srebrenica. And today, today, in The Hague, they're on trial. Good! Good they're on trial. Good they're on trial. Today there is growing violence in Ethiopia, in the Tigray region. Ethiopia has the second largest population in Africa. But non-combatants, civilians, women and children are killed and starved to death. That's happening right now. And when people come to me and say, Oh, everyone is pretty good. We're all getting better. Nonsense. Nonsense. How dare, how dare you shut your eyes in front of that sort of evidence. It's happening right now. Right now. And we can think of so many other places in the world. I haven't got to go back to the Second World War. I haven't got to go back to the Roman Empire. I haven't got to go back to all the different things in the Assyrian Empire and the cruelties in the 7th century BC. I just need to pick up the paper today and see that the darkness of human nature is also there. It's there. It's there in civilised nations. <laughs> Inverted commas. 
In the past, civilizations have put up with slavery. And this is bias to ourselves that goes on. One of the things we're all getting to know, and even me, the non-tech, technical me, has got to know a little bit about algorithms. Algorithms. I actually wrote a poem about algorithms. It's not that good, so I'm not going to read it to you, but I thought it was fun. I thought it was fun. And algorithms are fascinating. Because algorithms sort of get you, you know, you go to YouTube, or, or maybe it's uh, just Facebook, uh, and you go to Facebook and you, and you look at something and you look at a video they've sent you, and, and suddenly you realise that next time they're sending you a video which is pretty similar. And then that's pretty similar. And then you look at that and then they keep sending you the same. So they're sending you the same thing all the time. And we have algorithms of the soul to lead us to what we desire. It doesn't often lead us to truth. It just helps us go on the way we've already chosen to go. And that's why we get so many problems where people get all their information from, from the internet and from YouTube and from uh, Facebook. People say, I'm going to do some research. No, no you're not. You need, you need to be trained to do research. You can't do research without being trained to do research. I tend to be a bit extreme on this. Please feel free to disagree with me. And that's okay. I'm a bit strong on this one. Because time and time again, people do their own research and they come out with utter nonsense. Utter nonsense. And I tell you this, the algorithms of our soul take us into dark places. Into dark places. And the result of this, says Paul in Ephesians, is that God's wrath is, is upon you. Oh, but people don't like to hear God's judgment. Ah, no, no, no. Oh, please. Oh, we got visitors today. Don't, don't say about God's judgment. Please talk about his love. Please, don't put anyone off. I can't. It's not my fault. It's not my gospel. I'm going to preach what's there. At the moment, the world is holding people to account for what they have done. I think that's a good thing. I think that the fact that the last of the Nazis at this moment, just a few of them were left, who have just been caught, are being punished for what they did. They thought they got away with it, but they didn't. The guards at Auschwitz didn't get away with it, although they were 90 years old. They had to answer for their lives. The Bosnian and, and Serbian conflict, as I have noted, the leaders are answering now in the Hague for their lives, some of them. And one day the people in Myanmar, with the Rohingya crisis, will answer with their lives. I know you might say, but some people don't answer. They, they get away with it. I mentioned, you know, because we have Cambodians here in the church. They're downstairs at the moment with the kids. Cambodia, Pol Pot, murdered a huge percentage of his people. Got away with it. He died in the jungle with his people. No, he didn't. If the Bible is true, he didn't get away with it. He is answerable for his and it's not a bad thing. We look at judgment as a bad thing. Judgment isn't a bad thing. It's a good thing. I want a God who's fair and just. And just. 
and his wrath is against unrighteousness. Of course, it's easy to look at other people and take extremes and then excuse ourselves. <laughs> we excuse ourselves. You know, oh, yeah, well, look at Pol Pot. That was terrible. That was awful. In Diamine or whatever, he, he was awful. And all the different people in Europe at the, at the time of the Second World War. But the reality of Ephesians 2 is, he says, all of us are guilty. Not of all those things, but we are guilty of what we are guilty of. We, too, have a dark side. You, some of you, you don't look as if you have a dark side. You look great. <laughs> you look great. But you have, you know so, I know so. I can look all right, I look all right today. I'll cut my hair, you know. Look cool, all right? Look cool. That's all right, I feel good. And I think, oh, pastor doesn't have a dark side. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Every pastor has a dark side. Every elder has a dark side. Every music director has a dark side. Sorry about that. Sorry about pointing that out to you. So early on in your thing, but you are. Each and every one of us. However old you are, however young you are, has a dark side. But I want to say this, in Christ, it doesn't stop in the dark side. It doesn't stop. Because I want to end today not on the dark side, but with the word transformation. Transformation. Because when we realise our darkness, when we realise we do what we do, then there is transformation out of the dark. There's two things to end. Verse 5. Listen to what he's done. He has made us alive with Christ. He has given us that life. That deadness is gone. That relationship that we knew about is actual. It's a relationship that you're involved with. There is love involved in that relationship. Christian is someone who says, I've been born again, been given new life. I have new tastes and desires. He made me alive with Christ. He gave me new life as Christ came back from the dead, illustrated that new life. So he gives it to believers. God, verse 6, God raised us up with Christ, seated with him in the heavenly realms, risen with him united with him our eternal life begins now now we who are dead have been raised then the question comes does any of us deserve that no no and i end with the fact we don't deserve it it's been paid for. Listen to verse 8 and 9. I've already emphasised them earlier on. I couldn't help. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. Christianity isn't a DIY job. It's not something you can do yourself. It's something Christ does in us. I understand about not being able to do things. Especially in the technical age. 
you know, it's terrible. I get into the car, and when the time, summer time goes into other time, you know, we've got to change the thing. Do you know what I've got to do? I, I, I don't know how to do it. I got to go to my 15 year old niece, and I say, would you, would you come in? Could, could you change the clock for me? <laughs> I just don't get it. I just don't get it. I can't do it. Someone else has got to do it for me. And Brian knows time and time again. I'll phone him up and he's upstairs. He's in his office. I say, Brian, there's um, something here on the computer. He'll come down and he just go, done. I'd be there for hours. Hours. I couldn't do it. But someone else can. I can't earn my way to eternal life. But someone else can. I'm not good enough to be given eternal life. But someone else is. I haven't got enough righteousness to buy eternal life. But someone else has bought it for me. And it's summed up in that word, Grace, grace. And grace isn't an accumulation of your goodness. Rather, it's the outpouring of God's kindness. What a lovely word, kind. Oh, what a nice word. Oh, what a lovely word if people were kind. The incomparable riches of his grace. Verse 8, this is not from yourselves, not of works. Verse 8, the gift of God, so that no one can boast. Why am I a Christian this morning? Why am I able to say that I am a Christian? It's because of his love. It's because of his first move. It's because it's his idea. It's because it's his mercy. It's not because of my works, my reward, or my drive. The glory goes to God. That's why we can say we are Christians. That's why proudly we can say we are not ashamed of the gospel of God. For it is the power of God unto salvation. Not the power of man. It is the power of God unto salvation. And I want to remind you today. Even before we get, you know, the summer is a quiet sort of time, isn't it? People are on vacation, as we have so many of us on vacation. But I don't want you to go on vacation spiritually this summer. Don't go on vacation spiritually. Use the time. Use the time to remind yourself that God is still on his throne and he can still continue to change us for the better. He can still continue to transform us, to move us. He can still do it. I just want to convince you. Don't give up. Those of you who've tried time and time again and you've blown it. Those of you fighting against addiction. Those of you fighting against depression. Those of you fighting against all the different things you fight against. I want to tell you, God is on his throne. He will not leave you. Keep coming back. Keep coming back. It's the gift of God. The gift of God. That's why I'm preaching on the book of Ephesians this summer. <laughs> I want to remind us 
the greatness of this gospel. Greatness. So if you're not a Christian, every now and again I do this, if you're not a Christian, you're listening in, you're here today, if you're not sure that God has accepted you and you don't think you're good enough, well, you're not, so don't worry about it. You're not good enough, okay? But God's paid for you. So all you need to do is to come to him and just believe that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you. He has bought you salvation. You need to turn away from your own life. It means a change, means a transformation. But God will give you the power to transform as well. By his Holy Spirit. He will give you new desires. Fresh desires. New appetites. This is the gospel that we believe. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father. We pray for all those today. Who have not yet maybe come to that position. Where they know that. You are a reality. Pray for those who want to come. I pray, Lord, that they may come and put their faith in you. That they might believe, O oh God, that you are who you said you are. And that you've done what you said you've done. Lord, may this summer be a glorious one. Leading us into September and once again to reach out as a church. In Jesus' name, amen.